Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I certainly never expected 5,000 people a month to be willing to fork over a dollar or in some cases a lot more uh, just to make sure that the show happens. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. Now, as an interruption to our normal programming, this is the first in what I'm intending to become a regular series of short specials focusing on the podcasting industry and with a particular focus on what we can be doing better in the UK and Europe by looking at who is already doing it particularly well within the UK or Europe or anywhere else in the world. And this week's focus is on people paying for podcasts. I was attracted to that idea. I loved the idea of Kickstarter. I loved the idea of Indiegogo. And I thought it was really genius for someone to come up with something like that for recurring shows. Now, bands can fund themselves via Pledge Music or Indiegogo. Artists may finance their original works via things such as Art I Curate. Product and craft creators flock to Kickstarters or Etsy. More recently, podcasters are turning to Patreon, service founded in 2013. Think of it as a little bit like Kickstarter for podcasters, albeit one you pay for each month via an optional subscription. Podcasting has shown a massive resilience to changes across the media landscape, in part probably because podcasts are free and people love a bargain. But podcasts are evolving, and one way in which they're evolving is that people are learning to pay for them, and they're getting very comfortable paying for them. At least in the US, they are. So what could we be learning this side of the pond? What sort of podcasts would make you, in the UK or Europe, want to pay every month when you didn't have to? Tom Merritt is a professional podcaster with 5,000 people pledging monthly amounts, as little as one US dollar, but sometimes a lot more, to support his daily technology news show, DTNS, with a current total of just over $16,000 being pledged every month. Think about that. Every month, 5,000 people pledging over £10,000 to support a podcast they could download for free anyway. Tom joins me now. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nate. Another way to look at that is more than 16,000 people download Daily Tech News Show without paying for it every day. And it is a daily show, of course, which I should probably make a point of. This is very much uh, the, the, main, the main work of yours. Yeah, it's, I, I do several shows, but this one is the only daily one, and it is the, the one with the largest audience. You must be extremely pleased, but I'm curious how this compares to your expectations. Way beyond, had no idea that it would get this uh, successful on Patreon particularly. I figured I could do a fairly decent audience just because I've been doing this for long enough uh, that, uh, that I could get some folks to listen to a show. But I've gotten more people listening than I expected, and I certainly never expected 5,000 people a month to be willing to fork over a dollar or in some cases a lot more uh, just to make sure that the show happens. 
Yeah, and of course that's five thousand people um, giving money to support the show every month. That's not to say there's not way more people who download for free, but they are. That's just the number of people actually paying. Um, of which I should say, for full disclosure, disclosure, I am one of those people. Thanks, um, boss. I mean, let's just have a little uh, step back for a second for people who aren't necessarily familiar. I mean, how long have you considered yourself a professional podcaster now? And can you give us a bit of background on how your career led you up to this point? Yeah, I, I mean, calling myself a professional podcaster probably only goes back a few years, but I have been doing podcasts since 2005. I started working in technology journalism in 1999 when I joined ZDTV, which eventually became Tech TV, and I worked on their website, mostly coordinating all the content for the shows there. I worked for CNET for many years uh, as an executive editor, uh, did some headline writing, did feature writing, uh, did a lot of videos for them. And one of the things I did was start a podcast with my friend Molly Wood called Buzz Out Loud, which was in its day the most successful of the CNET podcasts. And it was a daily show about technology news. Uh, after I left CNET in 2010, I went to Leo Laporte's Twit Network, stands for This Week in Tech. I did a daily news show about technology there called Tech News Today for several years. Uh, and then I, I went off on my own in 2013 and started doing daily tech news show myself. What was it about Patreon that, that attracted you to, uh, to use them? Well, it's interesting. When Patreon launched... Uh, I read about it on TechCrunch in 2012. I think it was in the summer of 2012. And I was attracted to that idea. I loved the idea of Kickstarter. I loved the idea of Indiegogo. And I thought it was really genius for someone to come up with something like that for recurring shows. Now, I was still working uh, for Twit at the time, but I also had my own independent podcasts. And there was always a struggle with advertising revenue for any podcast so the idea of saying, hey, instead of having to Kickstarter a season of a show, which I had done before, I could have an ongoing support for it. But I just I just messed around with it. I started an account, uh, didn't do much with it. And then in December of 2012, when I knew I was leaving Twit, Brian Brushwood and I started a weekly show about cutting the cord, uh, watching TV and movies on the internet without having cable. And he had heard about Patreon independently and suggested it. So we decided to launch that show on Patreon as an experiment, and it went gangbusters. It did great. Uh, we got a couple thousand people within two or three weeks willing to support our shows weekly. They were pledging per episode, saying, I'll give you this much money for every episode you put up, which is the normal model for Patreon. It was really built for artists to put out songs and works and art, and you would pay per thing that they created. So with Daily Tech News Show, I'd, I'd originally looked at an advertising model and had calculated the CPMs and was, was thinking about going that way. And then because Patreon was doing so well for cord killers, I decided to give it a shot. And even then I was hedging my bets because I thought, well, I may still need advertising revenue to really make this work. So I set a milestone goal on Patreon that said, look, the math works out CPM wise that if you folks who are funding the show give me this much money, then I wouldn't have to take ads. That was just sort of a way to, to give people an encouragement. Uh, and I hit that within a couple months, uh, which was astounding. I, again, I, I wasn't even sure I'd ever hit that milestone goal. And I, I was giving myself like, oh, I'll, I'll take a month to see if I really can take get by without ads or not. And, and I didn't even need it. 
And to be clear, I mean, you can still take ads and do things on Patreon. Uh, as long as you're clear with your audience about that, lots of people do that. And I don't think that's it's wrong to do it that way. I worked in ad-supported uh, podcasts and ad-supported media for years. And as long as you're diligent to have a firm line separating editorial from sales, uh, you, you can do that quite well. However, it is certainly freeing never to have to worry about tracking tags, never having to think about billing uh, and all of that sort of thing, especially if you're a small operation like me. So that is definitely a benefit. But in addition to that, Patreon gives you a way to communicate with that audience. And this is your most valuable audience. They're willing without any reason to. They don't have, they can still get my show without paying for it. They are willing to still support it they are obviously people who are invested in it. So it allows you to communicate with them. It has a nice way of having them comment on various things. I've done polls on that. And it just it gives you a, a lot of the good community management tools that I think people probably don't realize Kickstarter does very well also. And, and Kickstarter really encourages you to do that post-funding engagement because if you want to reach out to that same crowd for another project down the road, you want to keep them engaged, you want to keep them happy. Patreon has to do that because you want to keep people engaged and you want to keep people happy on an ongoing basis. Basically, it's keeping you and the show accountable all the time because anyone could basically pull their funding at, at any moment if, if if they wanted. And they have. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, how do, what do, what do you ha- what do you do when that happens? There, you know, there's there's a certain amount of churn that's just going to happen, and sure. uh, I get people pulling their funding for various reasons. Sometimes I never know why; it just sort of happens. Sometimes they'll email me and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to have to cut back because I'm supporting a bunch of other shows, and you seem to be doing well, which is totally fair." Or I've hit a rough patch and I just don't have the money that I used to have. Hopefully I'll be able to help again. And every once in a while there's somebody who pulls their funding because they don't like something. I don't treat that any differently than any other email saying they don't like the show because to me all this is is saying there's something I don't like about the show and I want to make the best show I can. So if it's for a reason that I don't want to change, if you know they say, I want you to drop all coverage of Microsoft, I'll just say, well, you know, this isn't obviously the show for you. Uh, so you know, it's, it's perfectly right for you not to fund the show because you aren't getting value out of the show. And I stole that model from Adam Curry. If you get value out of my show, all I'm asking is you give me some value back for that in exchange. Uh, if you're not enjoying the show, then you shouldn't pay for it. I think that's fine. If it's something where I feel like I messed up and I'm like, hey, that was a mistake, I basically respond to say, this is how I'm going to address that. And hopefully I can earn uh, your support back someday. But again, I, I haven't done anything yet that has caused uh, you know a, a a huge drop, and I hope I never do. Uh, what has happened is I've sort of reached cruising altitude, where I realize okay, I'm going to lose a few people, I'm going to gain a few people as time goes on, and and that's just a normal business, and that that would be true of an advertising supported show as well. You just wouldn't know it if somebody's like, I'm never going to support that sponsor because they support the show I don't like. Uh, it all goes back to again just being engaged with that audience and listening to them and knowing yourself well enough to say, hey, they're right about this criticism or they're not right about that criticism and responding appropriately. 
It's very true, and I think your point about the the fact that you you will always have this nat- this natural attrition of, of 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 supporters, sponsors, subscribers, however you want to describe them, and and that's true in the in the print world. I mean, I spent a number of years um, working at, at Condé Nast, which makes you know the vast majority of its money from from magazines, and subscriptions are things that people do periodically have to review whether they can afford to continue an individual one. And as you say, sometimes people's circumstances just change, and they just can't afford something, and. and I think that in this case, it's great that they have the flexibility to be able to support you when they can, and they can still support in other ways when they can't support financially. Yeah. In fact, Patreon isn't the only way that I give people to support the show. Very early on, a lot of people requested the ability to do one-time donations. Now, Patreon has said they would like to create an ability for people to do that, but it's not something they have. So I created a PayPal system, and some people use that to do ongoing donations uh, merely because they just are comfortable using PayPal and they don't want to set up a new thing with a company they'd not heard of before. Uh, so there's that. I have a store that I sell mugs and t-shirts and, and stuff like that, which I get a little bit of support out of. And then I also tell people, look, if you're, I've been there. If you're in a position where you don't have any money to give anybody, much less me, uh, but you like the show, go tell people about it and convince your friends to subscribe and show them how. Patreon, it seems, is, is, has been doing very well over the last couple of years of getting people like yourselves to put trust in their business to fund their own business. Well, yeah. And of course, they, they recently had a security breach, uh, which is going to happen to everything that deals with money and even plenty of things that don't. Uh, if they operate on the internet for every length of time. So that was a big moment for me because, again, I I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket, but I have a lot of eggs in that basket. They are, And they've been fantastic to me. Uh, they've always been, been willing to help uh, and, and willing to outreach. And they were something that was filling a need, which was PayPal meets Kickstarter, right? Uh, more tools than PayPal, but more suited to ongoing content like podcasts. Uh, so when that happened, you know, they were very quick to be transparent uh, and say, this is what happened. Uh, this is what we were already doing to secure things. And, and it was a pretty good answer as far as encryption uh, and keeping financial information in a separate area so that it wasn't breached uh, and encouraging people to do the right thing and changing passwords, et cetera. I, and so I took that lead and did the same thing and said, hey, everybody on D- who's involved in DTNS, you may have heard about this. You should go change your password. Here's what you don't need to worry about. Here's what you do need to worry about. And I was curious if I would see a big erosion of support. Definitely saw some drop off from people, but I think most people realize that, and, and especially unfortunately, the way the internet has been, that this certainly wasn't an unusual security breach. And it certainly was handled better than a lot of other big companies like Target and, and, and others over the years. So that's kind of a big uh, trial by fire for them. And I think they passed that test. I agree. I think there's, it's it's sort of like the um, moving up a grade in the celebrity ranking list. Is that at, some, <laughs> yeah. at a certain point, you pass a threshold where you're you're valuable to be hacked. Your Twitter account is likely to be hacked. And I think that in a, in the celebrity world, getting your first hack is, if anything, confirmation that you are now a celebrity because you are worthy of being hacked. You've arrived, baby. I wanted to pick out something that you've done um, over the, the the couple of years that, that you've been running this full time. And the one thing that I remember that stood out to me that, that you've done to 
sort of give something back to the community in a way was in 2014 you hit the ten thousand dollar a month mark and you and your producer jenny josephson said thank you to all supporters individually by name in a four-hour live stream so every backer myself included i remember were name checked one by one live all in one sitting now a that doesn't happen on radio and I'm very curious how that was responded to because, you know, that's a hell of an effort. Like that's how, I think you called it thankathon, thankathon, or thankopolips. I think thankopolips. Okay, <laughs> it was it was definitely the moment when I knew that uh, Jenny Josephson was the right producer at the right time because we were trying to figure out what to do when we hit that milestone goal, and that was the milestone that would allow us to do it without commercials, and we wanted to do something special. And I said, okay, well, we need to thank people. Like that's, they're, they're supporting us in a huge way. How can we thank them? We can't like go to their houses and, and thank each one of them individually. And Jenny got this gleam in her eye. She's like, but what if we thanked them individually? And I just picked it up. I'm like, so we do a stream and we thank each person. Uh, I said, but we, we need to make it special. We need to customize each thank you. And she's like, well, my husband is a screenwriter. We'll get him to join us and we'll come up with, something playing off each name. And that's what we did. We created a spreadsheet of every person. Uh, I, I can't remember how many people there were. I think it was around 1,400 or something. Put it in a spreadsheet. And then we went in and we filled out as many of them as possible. And it was just quick. Uh, I, we would say, you know, thanks, Nate, you're great. I don't know if that's what we did for you, but you know, it would be it'd be something like either a rhyme or a pun or or just a little something to say we we did a special thank you for each one. Uh, and we were racing each other in the dock. I remember Jenny's husband, Matt, was like trying to keep ahead of us as we went, uh, coming up with things to say. And I was in there plugging away too. you know, while Jenny would be talking, I'd be in there and vice versa. Uh, it, w- it was a lot of fun. Everybody was tickled by it. I think most people either watched it live or just nodded at the fact that we had done it. I'm not sure how many people went back and actually watched. We did get a couple of people asking us for an index of where everyone's name was mentioned. And we're like, "Uh, that we can't do. We're not going to go back and put time code next to every person's name. Um, but, But most people were just kind of appreciative that we even did the effort. Yeah, I think I think it was a, it was a very interesting interesting moment, and to me, kind of underscored what's so important about funding via Patreon is that it is about people, it is about that relationship you have with listeners, and I think when you when you can engage with people on what feels like a much more personal level, they are much more likely to stay with you, support you, and talk about you. Um, you know, I've never wanted, I've never considered. Um, advertising or or Patreon or donations even for for text message because it's kind of a labor of love and and it's largely because I just want to do it. Um, but the main thing that that I say every week and people who listen for many weeks or months even know this is that it's just about telling somebody and helping them listen to it for the first time because the roadblock to a podcast is not the content. Often it's it's getting hold of it in the first place. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of my listeners recently uh, runs a computer repair shop or works in a computer repair shop. I can't remember which and asked if he could, uh, if we could provide him with a PDF that he could print out and just put up in the shop. He's like, I really don't make enough money to, to support you in any significant way, but I'd love to direct people to your show 
uh, you know, when they come in to get their computers repaired. And I was like, that's perfect. That's a, that is a more than sufficient way to support the show. And, and to me, that's what's fun about doing this is it makes enough for me to pay myself a living wage. Uh, I, I tend to take the money and I, I give a decent amount to myself, a decent amount to Jenny Josephson, and I've, I've got regular contributors that I pay for, but we split it up. I don't, I don't want a lot of people working for nothing when people's hard-earned money is what's paying it. So I, I try to split it up equitably based on how much you're doing for the show. Roger Chang is producing for us now. He gets some of that as well. So it's a lot of people say, oh, you're making $16,000 a month, Tom. That's great. It's split up in a lot of different ways. But I also don't feel like it's all about the money. It's, it's also about, like, how can you help me make a better show for you? I, and some people do it by submitting great emails. Some people do it by actually sending us little recorded bits that we put on at the end of the show. Uh, but a lot of people just want to enjoy the show. And if they can get more people listening, that helps us have a wider base to fund the show and maybe do more things. Is this a sustainable business model for a single podcaster or for a company that maybe is producing multiple podcasts? I can say with some certainty that the model can support a certain number of podcasts for at a minimum 22 months, Nate. <laughs> that's how long I've been doing it. Uh, which, which implies that it's not unsustainable uh how long it can continue i have no idea the only thing i can say is that in my experience you know running things like uh the anchor desk newsletter at cnet uh which was moribund when i took it over and yet still had a subscription base that would not let it go uh with with the fact that you know even with certain projects that i've undertaken when they just don't get the attention they deserve still continue to get downloads still continue to get streams uh, that I would have to work hard to get rid of the audience uh, in a certain sense at this point. And it's making enough that, you know, maybe if it dropped off a little, I'd have to cut back on contributors or something like that. And I'm hoping that never happens. But it seems like it's on a pretty even keel. But I really don't know. I've got, I've got no idea. This is all experimental. Last question then. Very last one. Quick one. Sure. Um, it, is, it is the following. What is the most important piece of advice you could give someone who is considering Patreon that you've learned over the last 22 months? I would say uh, use it to engage your audience. Uh, the, to me, the most common thing that successful shows have done, both my own shows and others, not just my own, uh, is is to really pay attention to the audience and the people you're serving. And sometimes people hear that, hear me say that and they're like, but it's not a democracy. And, and what if your own vision uh, is compromised by that? And, and you should never do something you're not passionate about. You never compromise your vision. Uh, but play those off each other. You know, pay serious attention to the people who are willing to help you. And if you're going to try on Patreon, keep that spirit. Use Patreon as a way to continue to respect and engage your audience and, and, and go with an honest outreach to say, hey, this is why I want to do it. Maybe it's because you want to stop doing your full-time job and, and make this your full-time job. Be honest about that. Maybe it's like, hey, it's a side project, but it costs me a little money, and I just want to make sure that I keep it going. Just be honest about that and make sure they know what they're getting out of it, even if it's just a, a lot of thank yous. Um, you know, 
the other, I guess the other thing I'd add to that is uh, don't get caught up in giving physical rewards because if you're doing something on an ongoing basis, the reward is the show you're doing. You don't want to be shipping things every month. That becomes a full-time job on itself. Definitely. Well, wise words. Wise words indeed. Uh, Tom Merritt, let people know where they should go to listen to your show for the first time. Yeah, uh, if you've already listened to it, you're, it's it's over for you. But if you've never listened to it before, uh, go to dailytechnewsshow.com. Uh, you can click on the subscribe button there, and it will give you all the different ways uh, to get the podcast in the various podcasting apps that exist. Uh, there's also a YouTube channel that you can get to from there, youtube.com slash dailytechnewsshow. And uh, if you're interested in the other things that I do, you can go to tommerritt.com. Thanks again to Tom Merritt for joining us this week. Do check out DTNS. Now, our regular scheduled programming on Text Message will resume next week when Ian and I will talk the week's tech news. But let me know in the meantime what kinds of topics you'd like to hear about in this focus on the the state of podcasting series. It's not going to be a regular series as in every other week or once a week or midweek or anything like that, but I do plan on doing a number of these interviews and I'd love to hear about who you would like to hear from. You know, what kind of podcasts would you like to know more about the, the backstory to? Is there a new type of podcast that you're following and you think, I wonder how that works or I wonder how this could be better? Maybe you're a podcaster and all you want to know is it's 2015, it's almost 2016, should I even start a podcast now? And if so, what should I be thinking about? Those are the sorts of questions I get extremely passionate about. And this is the kind of show I think that we can use to get some of those answers out there and to just increase the general understanding of podcasting in the modern media world. So let me know those things. Podcast at NateLangson.com. Send them through Twitter. I'm at NateLangson. Or of course, on NateLangson.com slash podcast, there's a form there you can use to send feedback on any episode. Join us again next week. Thanks again to Tom. And until next time, I was Nate Langson. And I'll continue to be for the foreseeable future. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.